You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 137, brought to you by Vessi Seeds. And today, folks, I'm going to do something very different. I'm going, I think the title of today's episode is going to be something like Talking Gardening with ChatGPT or Talking Gardening with AI. Um, Recently, I had an email. I get emails all the time from companies with new products trying to convince me that I should plug it on their, uh, you know, on my, on my YouTube channel. And there was this guy who had an app and you could ask it gardening questions and, and it would answer them, right? So I was like, okay, let me give this a try. So I would just type in a couple of really common questions. You know, why are my tomato leaves turning yellow is the first one. because it's probably one of the most common questions people ask and the most impossible one to answer because there's so many reasons why tomato leaves might turn yellow. So I thought it was a good exercise. And it gave me a, a pretty good answer. Um, and then I went, I thought, just for curiosity's sake, because um, I have a friend who, who uses ChatGPT, and um, I asked her, can you ask ChatGPT the same question? And, 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 and she typed the question into ChatGPT, and it gave almost the same answer. So I'm inclined to think that whatever that app is, it just sort of runs on a layer over ChatGPT. Who knows? I don't know, right? It would be very, it'd be very unique that someone independently designed an AI that works just as well. Um, anyway, I get the idea in my head of why not do an episode uh, of the podcast where I have this AI as a guest. Um, I mean, I, I basically typed five, five of the most common gardening questions ever and get it to answer. And I'm going to read them off and I'm going to comment. So the idea is that I'm going to read the answer and then I'm going to periodically pepper in my comments on whether I think it's a good answer or a bad answer. Okay. And uh, I mean, just for those that have no background in any of this sort of thing, and it's not like I'm some sort of expert. I, I know how to code a little bit. I'm a bit of a nerd, um, but I, I do not work in AI. I'm not a computer expert at all, right? Uh, compared, to, compared to a computer expert, I'm not a computer expert at all. Compared to someone who knows nothing, I know a little bit, but not much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Based on conversations I've, um, I mean, there was a big kerfuffle a little while ago about, oh my goodness, this is singularity and this thing's uh, alive and it knows everything and it's, 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 it's going to be Terminator 1, 2, and 3 all put together or and this all happens and, and who knows, that might happen, right? But my best understanding of how these AIs work um, and this is from listening to conversation after conversation after conversation among experts on the topic, is that what it does is it takes the question you ask, okay, and it, based on that, it searches the internet for questions like that, and then it tries to find the first, le- first word to go with those words. And then it tries to find the next word to go with the word it chose before that to go with those words. Then it tries to find the next word to go with the first two words that go with the, go with the question words. Right? So it's, it's just associating words that go with the words you typed in as a question, and it does it sequentially. Okay. So, as a result, when you ask ChatGPT, why are my tomatoes turning yellow, it does not know what a tomato is. It doesn't know what the color yellow is. <laughs> Right? Um, it, it doesn't know things the way you know things, but it's surprisingly good at coming up with answers because it's, it's, it's in, and it's instantaneous, okay? But it, it's instantaneously scouring all of human knowledge and trying to find, looking at the, the answers to questions like that and choosing an answer that's probably the best answer based on all the answers that are out there, okay? Now, it's, it's not perfect because it, it can't evaluate. I mean, I should do another episode where I try to trick it and ask it sort of weird questions. But here I just asked a genuine, honest question. The kinds of questions that people tend to ask on uh, a Facebook gardening group or that sort of thing, right? Where they go on and say, hey, my tomato leaves are turning yellow. What's wrong? So let's get started here. So I asked, I'm going to tell you exactly what I asked ChatGPT. And then maybe I'll try to change my, the voice of my inflection so you know when, I, when I'm saying what ChatGPT said and what I'm saying. And, you know, just for, for those that know, I mean, I, I had great consternation. I got my own ChatGPT account. You have to give it an email, which is fine. You just come up with a fake email. You know, you can just get a new email, a throwaway email. Uh, but you also have to give it your phone number to authenticate yourself that you're real. Uh, so I had a lot of consternation about giving it my phone number. Uh, but then I thought, 
you know, the fans deserve me to risk um, my, uh, you know, personal security. <laughs> so, so hopefully uh, ChatGP doesn't, doesn't destroy my life uh, by using my phone number to do something nefarious. Um, we'll see how that goes. More on that later. <laughs> but anyway, I have access to this thing. Why not use it, right? Okay, so first question. I asked ChatGPT, why are my tomato leaves turning yellow? Okay, here's the answer I got. And I, I, thought, of, I thought of using a voice to answer this. Uh, Star Trek 1, the original Star Trek, the computer talk like this. I didn't think that was a good way to talk. No one wants to listen to that. So I'm going to try to talk like data from Star Trek, the next generation. Much nicer voice, okay? So if you hear me talking kind of funny, it's just so I can, you know, so it's obvious that I'm ChatGPT and I'm not me. Tomato leaves can turn yellow for various reasons, and identifying the exact cause can help you take appropriate measures to address the issue. Here are some common reasons why tomato leaves might turn yellow. Overwatering or underwatering. Too much water can suffocate the roots and lead to root rot, causing yellow leaves. On the other hand, underwatering, underwatering can stress the plant, leading to similar symptoms. That's a good answer. That's just one of them, okay? That's the first thing I would have said. Too much water, not enough water. Nutrient deficiency. Yellowing leaves can be a sign of nutrient deficiencies, such as nitrogen, magnesium, or iron. Each nutrient deficiency may display distinct patterns of yellowing on the leaves. Also possible. Disease. Several diseases can affect tomato plants, such as early blight, septoria leaf spot, or bacterial cancer, or canker, bacterial canker, which can cause yellowing and browning of leaves. That's true. <laughs> Pests. Insect infestations like aphids or whiteflies can damage the leaves, causing them to turn yellow or even drop prematurely. Temperature stress. Tomatoes are sensitive to extreme temperatures. Cold weather can slow down nutrient uptake leading to yellow leaves. High temperatures can also cause heat stress. pH imbalance. Tomatoes prefer a slightly acidic soil, pH around 6.0 to 6.8. If the pH is too high or too low, it can affect nutrient availability and result in yellowing leaves. Root damage. Physical damage to the roots, like accidental injury during transplanting, can impact the plant's ability to take up water and nutrients. Root damage. Herbicide damage. Additional exposure to herbicides or weed killers can cause the yellowing of leaves. To determine the exact cause of yellowing, carefully inspect your tomato plant. Consider the above factors. Check for signs of pests, diseases, and other stressors. Also, assess your watering routine and ensure you're providing adequate nutrients. If necessary, Test the soil pH to rule out any imbalances. Once you identify the underlying issue, you can take the appropriate steps to address it. For example, if it's a nutrient deficiency, you can use a balanced fertilizer. If it's overwatering, adjust the watering schedule accordingly. In the case of pests or diseases, you may need to treat the plants with appropriate remedies. If the problem persists or you're unsure about the cause, consult with a local gardening expert can be beneficial. So that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> it's a pretty good answer. I don't think I could give a much better answer than that. I mean, you can weigh on what's most likely, right? Um, I mean, usually people think it's turning yellow because you need to add something. And I mean, it's, it's usually, it depends on the situation. If, if the transplants are put out too early, it's usually the soil is too cold, and so the roots can't take up nutrients and, you know, the plant dies, or it's shock from all of that cold, right? If it's mid-season, they've been out for months and they're turning yellow, um, either they're not getting enough water or you're watering it too much, right? Um, and usually the nu nutrient deficiency is from underwatering or overwatering, that sort of thing, right? You're, you're killing your, you're, you're messing up your roots and they, the roots take up the nutrients. It's, it's rarely a nutrient deficiency. It's usually something is affecting the plant's ability to take up nutrients. Um, but this is a nuanced thing. All of these are possible reasons a tomato leaves could turn yellow. 
I couldn't think of any more reasons than what to hear. <laughs> you know. And it printed this out. It wrote this and printed it out in about five seconds. No, less than that. It was amazing. So that one's pretty good, I have to say. Okay. Next one. Next question. How often should I fertilize? I'm going to use tomatoes here just because to keep it more narrowed down. If I said, how often should I fertilize my pl plants? Well, I mean, it really depends on the plant, right? So I didn't think that was a fair question. So how often should I fertilize my tomatoes? ChatGPT says, the frequency of fertilizing your plants depends on the type of fertilizer you are using and the growth stage of your plants. Here are some general guidelines to help you decide how, to oft how often to fertilize your tomatoes. At planting, when transplanting your tomato seedlings into the garden or large container, you can incorporate some slow-releasing fertilizer or well-rotted compost into the soil. This provides essential nutrients to the plants as they establish their root systems. Early growth stage. Once your tomato plants have been in the ground for about three to four weeks, you can start using a balanced fertilizer, such as 10-10-10 or 14-14-14 NPK blend. You can apply a water-soluble fertilizer or granular fertilizer around the base of the plants. During flower and fruit set, as the tomatoes start to produce flowers and develop fruits, they require more nutrients. You can continue using the balanced fertilizer every two to three weeks during this period. After first harvest. After the first set of tomatoes has been harvested, you can apply a balanced fertilizer once again to support the development of new flowers and fruit. Mid to late season. As the growing season progresses, you can switch to a fertilizer with a higher potassium content, third number in the NPK ratio, to promote fruit development and ripening. A fertilizer with an NPK ratio like 10, or 5, 10, 15, or 8, 16, 16, can be suitable for this stage. Remember that these are general guidelines, and the frequency of fertilizing may vary depending on factors such as soil quality, weather conditions, and the specific nutrient needs of your tomato variety. Always follow the instructions on the fertilizing package, packaging for the recommended application rates and frequency. Additionally, if you have used slow-released fertilizers at planting, they can provide nutrients over an extended period, and you may not need to apply as much additional fertilizer during the growing season. Regularly monitor your plants, for any sign of nutrient deficiencies or excessive fertilization, such as yellowing leaves or burnt leaf edges, and adjust your fertilization schedule accordingly. I mean, that's not a bad answer, except that if someone asked me how often should I fertilize um, my tomatoes, I'd say, you probably don't need to, <laughs> right? I don't fertilize my tomatoes. I have really healthy soil. I plant them Sorry, I just heard something off in the woods there. I didn't know if a bear was coming to get me. Um, I have really healthy soil, and I put my tomatoes in the ground, and uh, I put a mulch around the tomatoes, and the mulch decomposes every time it rains. Some of that decomposed mulch stuff goes into the soil. Um, I guess in a sense, it's, uh, my soil is amended with compost and in a perpetual state of that, right? The mulch is perpetually breaking down, perpetually turning into compost, and that's perpetually affecting um, the soil organisms and the soil. So, if someone asked me how often should I fertilize my tomatoes, I would say, um, if, you know, they probably don't need it if your soil is healthy. Keep your soil mulched and it will be healthy and you probably will not need tomatoes. Also, by mulching your soil, right? you're helping the soil maintain its moisture levels. By helping the soil maintain its moisture levels, you don't need to water your tomatoes. I don't water mine at all. Have not watered them once. Since, I mean, I watered them when I put them in the ground. They were transplants that I started inside. So of course, when you put a transplant in the ground, you should water it. Um, so I maybe watered them once or twice that week, and then I haven't watered them since. Right? Put a good mulcher on them, just let them, let them go, and they're fine. They're healthy, they're almost three feet tall right now, and they're flowering and they're producing tomatoes, and I haven't harvested them once, or I haven't fertilized them at all, <laughs> right? So, I'm, if you're growing them in flower pots, I think the advice Chat GPT gave was probably good advice. Although, you know, I'm lazy. I just say use a slow release. You have to use fertilizer if you're, if you're growing in pots, unless you've got some ready access to 
you know, compost, but usually people growing in pots are growing on a deck and they don't have a backyard and that sort of thing. So they probably don't have compost. Um, so yeah, there's probably good advice for someone growing in a pot or for someone growing in a garden where the soil basically has no nutrients in it at all. <laughs> like you've got the worst soil. This is good advice if you're growing tomatoes in a garden and you have the worst soil in the world. <laughs> so none of that context is brought out in the answer. Um, because it's, 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 it's just saying how often should a fertilizing is looking for the answers to that question. It's scouring the internet. It's not evaluating the, the question critically like uh, a human might do. You know, so my answer would be don't bother. <laughs> just, you know, do things that make it, keep a mulch in your soil. That'll keep the soil healthy. That'll maintain the moisture levels. That'll keep the roots happy. That'll keep the soil organisms happy. Everything should work out fine. I also noticed it said, um, as the growing season progresses, you can switch to a fertilizer with a higher potassium content to promote fruit development. So it is true that when the plant is developing fruit, it needs more potassium uh, to do that. But I mean, I've had Robert Pavlis, famous MythBuster, um, on my podcast many times, and something he said is that it's very rare that soil is lacking in potassium. I mean, the thing about fertilization in general is you plants need what they need, and they don't need any more than that. If the soil has what the plants need, they don't need more of those things. So your nitrogen, your potassium, um, all those sorts of things, you know, everything, magnesium, you know, everything, it's not just the three things, NPK, there's lots of things in soil that, that, that plants need. Um, but they only need what they need. Adding more, if the soil has enough, doesn't do anything. <laughs> and there's a level where if you add too much, you can actually harm the plant. Um, so, I mean, you, you fertilize if you think your soil is deficient. If the soil has enough, of, if it's healthy soil, it has enough. There's, there's no advantage from fertilizing. You're just going to imbalance things. Okay. And the one thing Robert Pavlos said is that it's, it's extraordinarily rare. I mean, nitrogen can be, nitrogen fluctuates throughout the season. Okay. There's lots of different reasons why nitrogen in your soil might be high or low. Uh, if you have a good mulch on there and you keep it mulched, you should have the right, <laughs> you should have about the right nitrogen level all the time. Um, but things like potassium, uh, according to Robert Pavlis, most soils have all the potassium your plants are ever going to need. There's no added advantage to adding a high potassium fertilizer to a plant when it's flowering. And, you know, you'd only add that if you had a reason to think that the soil was deficient in potassium, which it usually doesn't. I mean, do a soil test, you know, that sort of thing to figure that out. But uh, it's extremely rare that that's the case. So. That's my, my feedback on that answer. It's not a bad answer if you're growing in flower pots or you have the worst soil in the world. That's a great answer. Uh, if you've got healthy soil, you probably don't need to fertilize at all. Just put down a mulch and take it easy. <laughs> all right, next, Dan, next, next question. Uh, I said, um, <clears throat> when is the first and last frost date where I live? I wanted to see if ChatGPT knew where I lived. ChatGPT says, I apologize, but as an AI language model, I don't have access to real-time data or specific locations. The first and last frost days depend on blah, 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 blah. Basically, I don't know where I live, so I don't know what it is. So then I said, okay, um, I told it where I live. I'm not gonna tell you because I don't want people showing up in my backyard. <laughs> Near Halifax, Nova Scotia, okay? Um, when is the first and last frost date? Near Halifax, Nova Scotia. Chat GPT. As of my last update in September 2021, I don't have access to real-time data, including specific frost dates for 2023 or beyond. Frost dates can vary from year to year and are subject to local climate conditions. In general, Nova Scotia typically experiences its last spring frost date in late May or early June. And the first fall frosts occur in late September or October. However, these dates can vary depending on the specific location within Nova Scotia, as well as the prevailing weather patterns in a given year. For the most accurate frost date information, it's best to consult local resources or garden area experts who are familiar with the climate where you live and the surrounding areas. They can provide you with more precise and region-specific details to help you plan your gardening activities effectively. That's a great answer, <laughs> I gotta say. You know, I mean, it, it, the, the, the AI 
I'm really surprised. You know, if you Google um, first and last frost dates for, you know, where, where, you know, whatever the first biggest major city is close to where you live, um, Google will spit it out. Boom. It'll give you frost dates. And, and for I, where I live, it usually says the, the last frost date is late April. And it usually says the first frost date is uh, like in October or something. Um, where I, my last frost date is usually late May, sometimes June. And my first frost date is, is usually late September, early, early October, exactly as, as ChatGPT said. But it also says, pff, you know, it's all over the place. It really depends on where you live and there's all kinds of different factors that affect it and it varies from year to year. And you really, you should ask someone in your area who knows some stuff uh, because it's all over the place and it's very hard to predict. So that's a fairly good answer, right? <laughs> of course, if you were a regular viewer of my show, I recommend using the dandelion planting schedule because I think it's pretty reliable for determining first and last frost dates. Um, but anyway, I thought that wasn't a bad answer. Okay, next question. And this is another one that people tend to ask. And I don't know why people ask this. I mean, I, I got a take on this. I, I'll, I'll read what ChatGPT says and I, I got a completely different take on this. All right. What are the five best vegetables for beginners? Okay, really vague questions. For beginners, it's essential to start with vegetables that are easy to grow, resilient, and relatively forgiving. Here are the five best vegetables for beginners. These are the best, right? <laughs> I didn't even say where you live because it really matters where you live, right? But anyway, because some things don't grow and well in some places they're going to go, am I in the tropics? <laughs> am I in the Yukon? Where am I, right? There's things we grow here that, you know, uh, but if you're living in Jamaica, it might not be the best place to grow them. Anyway, for beginners, um, lettuce. Lettuce is a beginner-friendly vegetable that grows quickly and easily. It can be grown in both containers and garden beds. Varieties like leaf lettuce and mescaline mix can be harvested at various stages, providing continuing harvests. That's not bad. I mean, lettuce is one of those things that, um, the thing with lettuce is that you plant it, you can plant it in, in April, okay, where I live anyway, very early. You can plant it as soon as the soil thaws. Um, but by this time of year, that lettuce is done. I got lettuce over there that's starting to flower. Actually, I just filmed a video on how to cook lettuce how to eat lettuce, you know, when lettuce starts to make flowers, it takes, tastes bad. Um, it becomes very, very bitter. You can't really, we think of lettuce as a salad vegetable and uh, you cannot use uh, lettuce in a salad once it's started to, to bolt. You'll see that you've got a nice little lettuce looking plant. All of a sudden it starts getting like two, three feet high and wants to make a flower to make seeds. Once that starts happening, the, the leaves become kind of bitter and they don't taste very good. I just did a video on how to cook lettuce and it's delicious. My whole family likes it. The thing with lettuce is that it's 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 done, and when you're a beginner, you don't really understand that the lettuce is done no matter what. Um, I've seen all these really stupid videos on YouTube saying, "Hey, take your grocery store lettuce, you know, harvest it, stick it in the ground, and it'll make you new lettuce forever, perpetual." It doesn't work that way, right? The, the most plants, the, the the true plant is what's going on with the roots, right? Once once the plant stored up enough energy. Um, it's, it's, you know, these are annuals, so they're going to put out, or biennial, I guess they're annuals. They're an annual and they're going to put out a flower. That's, that's what their whole purpose in life is, right? They'll get to a stage where they want to flower and once they want to flower, it's over. That plant is just not an edible plant anymore. And as far as I know, all lettuce is like that. Um, so for a beginner, it can be kind of frustrating. You know, lettuce is starting to flower, to, you know, bolt. What do I do with all this lettuce now? It's done, right? So uh, it is an easy thing to grow, but it can be confusing for a beginner in July when it all starts bolting and you think something is wrong with it. Um, so, and then what do you do with all that lettuce? Let's say you planted an entire bed. I mean, you can only use, I have found as an experienced gardener <laughs> that lettuce is actually, it's, it's easy to get it to grow, but the challenge is making sure you use it all, using all of it before it bolts. And then, of course, you know, I've, I've, I'm so ineffective of using my, all of my lettuce before it bolts, I've actually explored ways to cook it. Um, and that's how I solve the problem. Um, but yeah, it's actually, it is easy to grow in, in terms of getting it to, you know, sticking a seed in the ground and having it turn into a plant. Um, but a little bit of time is, re some sophistication is required to, 
to get a perpetual harvest out of it and make the most of its success in planting, all that sort of stuff. And as easy, it is, as, easy as it is to get it to grow in April, May, when it's you know, not super, super hot and dry, uh, if you're trying to do a planting like now, like end of July, uh, it can be a bit challenging to get it to, to germinate because it's so dry, you have to water it often, right? You're not getting regular rains and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, it's not a bad beginner vegetable. I'm okay with you there. Radishes. Radishes are one of the fastest growing vegetable to grow, making them perfect for beginners. They are low maintenance, tolerate various soil types, and are ready for harvest in just a few weeks. So this is, <clears throat> radishes are always thrown out there as a beginner vegetable. But uh, then what do you do with them? I mean, how many people like, I mean, the general theme, there's some good things on this list, okay, don't get me wrong. But my first, if a beginner asks me, what should I grow? I'd first ask them, what's your five favorite, when you go to the grocery store and you're buying, and you're in the vegetable aisle, what do you buy? What, do you, what vegetables do you eat? Like you should grow something you're going to eat. Do you eat a lot of lettuce? Because if you eat a lot of lettuce, you should grow lettuce. For radish, I'd ask the same thing. Do you eat a lot of radishes? <laughs> How much radish do you eat? <laughs> right? <laughs> because, you know, uh, I can go a whole year and not buy radishes. I mean, no one in my family likes them. Um, when I grow them in the garden, I, I eat them when I'm in the garden to curb my hunger so I can stay out in the, you know, I'll be out in the garden working and I want to eat something uh, and I'll eat a radish to it sort of cures your hunger. Um, but that's all I do with them, right? So you have a beginner, they grow a bunch of radishes. Now they got a whole bunch of radishes. What are they going to do with them, right? Um, and by the way, they're all ready at the same time, right? They're all... <laughs> <laughs> They're all ready to be harvested, which means you're going to have like about a two-week period where you're eating a lot of radishes. So, you know, for beginners, I think beginners should, it's important to have success as a beginner. You want to put seeds in the ground and have them grow. But part of the pleasure of having a garden is, is enjoying the produce, right? Really enjoying, you know, you're getting something out of the garden. You know, you grow beans, for instance. You're like, my God, these are good. These are so good. Why don't they taste like this in the grocery store, right? Because you're getting them fresh. And beans don't keep well, right? Once you pick them, you got to use them in a few days. I, I, I've never understood how the ones in the grocery store don't go bad. They must be selected and chosen for that property. Some things keep better than others. When I grow beans and I pick them, uh, and stick them in the fridge in a plastic bag. Um, they start going bad. They start going off in like days, right? They go bad really quickly. Um, but that means that when you're eating them, they're super fresh. You really enjoy them, and you're like, "My God, these are good." Uh, anyway, I'm getting a bit off on a diatribe here. So let me complete. So radishes, Chet GPT recommends it, uh, as do many sort of you know gardening, um, uh, you know gardening enthusiasts, right? Um, if you read a whole bunch of different gardening enthusiasts' uh, web pages, uh, gardening writers, the radishes are always included as, as in the list as good beginner vegetables. But I'm like, to me, I'm, and maybe I'm just, <laughs> maybe this is more about me than anybody else, but like, who the hell likes radishes? Like, <laughs> they're fine, I like them, but I mean, you should pick something you like. You really got to enjoy eating. So if you really like, if you, when was the last time you bought radishes in the grocery store? If you buy them, oh, like once a month, you can't go a month without eating radishes, that's a good thing to grow in your garden. If you can't remember the last time you bought radishes, <laughs> maybe you're not going to be very happy with them. Just, just saying, right? Uh, okay. Radishes. Green beans. Green beans, especially bush varieties, are straightforward to grow. They are relatively resistant to pests and diseases, and regular harvesting promotes continued production. I couldn't agree more. They're a great one. Whether they're bush bean, which are probably easier for beginners. Um, over the years, I've become more fond of growing uh, the pole beans. Um, I find you get more out of them and a longer harvest period. And there's more varieties uh, available in the, the, the climbing beans. Um, and in my opinion, better tasting varieties. Um, this year I'm growing Fortex beans. Um, Usually, uh, in previous years, I grow uh, rattlesnake pole beans, which are delicious. Well, I'm also growing some bush beans, right? Um, 
I can't remember the name, but it's an Italian variety, big, big, fat, thick bean. They're delicious, right? Uh, and I love yellow beans because I like making that mustard beans. Uh, but beans are really, e they are really easy to grow. They're not, I mean, they're, they're pest resistant once they get past the first stages of growth. But when, you're, when your beans first emerge, they're extremely um, susceptible to damage from slugs and snails if you have them. Uh, and if you're like me and you keep everything mulched all the time, you're going to have a lot of slugs and snails in your garden. <laughs> okay, <laughs> at least in my experience where I live anyway. Um, so, you know, when the, when the beans are first emerging, I put some slug bait down. The kind I'm always recommending on my, on my show, Safer Slug and Snail Killer, because it's, you know, environmentally acceptable, put it that way. Uh, and it's fairly specific, right? Um, and it, it, it kills the snail with an overdose of iron. Um, so all that's going in your soil is a bit of iron and a bit of, uh, what is it, sulfur, right? I think it's like sulfur, ferric sulfate or something like that is the active ingredient with some other stuff that attracts the slugs like a cereal, right? So it's so like Cheerios with ferric sulfate sort of thing. The slug smells like Cheerios. Oh my God, that smells good. I got to get me some of that, right? And then it gets this huge overdose of iron. Um, which, you know, iron's fine. You, ne you need iron, I need iron, but if, if you and I had an overdose of iron, it, it would be bad for us too. It just cause your liver to shut down or your, your kidneys, or your liver, you know, you get too much of anything, it's, it's bad, right? Um, anyway, that would be the only caution with green beans is that, you know, you can get slug damage. Now, I've found sometimes that the slug doesn't eat the stalk of the bean, it just eats the emerging leaves. And sometimes it'll eat all the leaves off and then the, the bean will grow new leaves. And those ones, for whatever reason, are more slug resistant than the initial leaves. Not quite sure what that's all about. Um, but anyway, once the plants are, you know, developing, once they're starting to get some size, I don't, I, they are pest proof. I mean, for the most part, right? They, they, they seem to handle, so if I'm, lo I'm looking at my, my climbing beans over here, Fortex, the lower leaves got lots of holes in them. Uh, and there's obvious damage from flea beetles and slugs and snails. But all the, that's like the first feet, first foot. But they're, right now they're about eight feet high, seven, eight feet high. And once you get past that first foot, everything looks pristine and beautiful. Um, so yeah, they're, they're pest resistant, they're easy to grow. And you'll find, as I mentioned earlier, that when you grow your own beans, they taste so good. You realize, boy, I like beans a lot more than I thought I did, <laughs> right? We really, I mean, we like our grown beans so much that we don't buy them in the supermarket. Um, that is to say, we're like, you'll, I was just uh, somewhere the other day and I saw some green beans. Mine aren't ready yet. They're almost ready. I'm craving them because I see these big, beautiful plants I've got on my, on my garden. Um, but I knew if I bought those beans at the supermarket, I wouldn't be happy with them. Um, they're, uh, you know, I can't explain it, but I mean, you can get lucky. You can buy beans at the supermarket and they can taste good. But if you're growing your own, they're so good. So top of my list, number one on my list for new, big, new gardeners is beans. Unless the person hates beans, right? Did you ever buy beans? Do you hate beans? That sort of thing. Uh, even then, if, if they don't buy them because they say they never taste good, I'd, <laughs> I'd say, hey, have you tried growing them? Because they taste a lot better, right? Uh, but anyway, and, and there's the other thing. Some people eat them raw. And there, there are ways to cook them that make them better to eat and all that sort of stuff. But beans are high on my list. Easy to grow, taste great, go with lots of things. And you can, if you have too much, unlike the lettuce situation, if you have more beans than you can handle, you can just blanch and freeze them and, and eat them later. So it's another property of that vegetable. Easy to store, stores well, you can eat them later, right? So you're getting more out of your plant. You can continue to eat the plant, eat beans long after the plants are finished. Um, okay, so beans. The next thing it suggests is zucchini. Zucchini is a prolific producer and relatively easy to grow. One or two plants can yield an abundance of fruits. However, they do need some space to spread out. That's true. So I've got zucchini right over here. And uh, the plants are about three feet high and two, three feet wide. And they are starting to produce like crazy. Uh, I got to harvest some today, in fact. Um, so zucchini is a great plant for beginners. Uh, the only catch with zucchini is what are you going to do with all that zucchini? Um, so if you're a beginner and you're thinking about growing zucchini, um, try to think of what you're going to do with all of it. I make a lot of relish out of mine, and we have various, we've learned over the years, way, I mean, I have an entire, like, four by eight bed of zucchini. So I've got, 
kind of know what's in there. 10 plants, something like that. 10 or 12 zucchini plants. And some, some of them are more sort of prolific than others, I guess. But they're all growing and they're all producing. Uh, we're going to get a lot of zucchini. So I turn a lot of it into relish because um, my wife loves zucchini. So do I. I mean, but she likes it too, right? So you get, Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? Uh, so I make the zucchini relish because um, we just love it on just about everything. Um, but also the uh, Magda zucchini I grow, it's a Lebanese variety. Um, we use them in salads and we also cook them. Uh, so there's like so many different ways to use them once you've learned how, right? I mean, if I'm at, when I'm at work and I say, oh, I get so much zucchini, the number one thing people say is, oh, you can make uh, zucchini bread. Um, okay, that's a good use for one zucchini. <laughs> but I have like 10 every two days. <laughs> so how much zucchini bread do you uh, think I should make, right? <laughs> right? So yeah, zucchini bread is the thing you can do with zucchini. It's probably the least healthy way to eat zucchini. And most of the zucchini bread isn't zucchini. You know, it's either like, it's sugar and flour and fat, right? So I mean, you're growing vegetables to, I mean, sure, make your zucchini bread. Um, I've even had like almost like a chocolate, chocolate cake, chocolate brownie type thing made from zucchini. But I mean, it's, it's some zucchini with chocolate cake, right? I'd just rather have a chocolate cake, you know? It's not healthy, right? So if I'm eating chocolate cake, I want it as chocolatey and cakey as possible. Don't waste my time with putting zucchini in it. You know, zucchini is a delicious, healthy vegetable. I prefer to have that as a vegetable dish and enjoy it with a meal. But anyway, that's my opinion. And anyway, my point is that it, it's a good vegetable for a beginner because they're going to have success. They're going get, to get a big plant. They're going to get a lot of zucchini. But does that beginner know what to do with all that zucchini besides just going around to your neighbors and seeing who'll take them off your hands, which I also do, right? Um, anyway, that is a good suggestion. But, you know, do people use zucchini? Uh, and the last thing to suggest is cherry tomatoes. Cherry tomatoes are generally more forgiving than larger tomato varieties. They're usually disease-resistant and provide a steady support of sweet, bite-sized tomatoes throughout the growing season. Okay, then it sums up. I agree, cherry tomatoes isn't bad, but of course, if you like, do you like cherry tomatoes? I, you know, I always think like, if I'm growing tomatoes, I wanna make a tomato sandwich. That's what I, you know, the Cadillac of sandwiches, in my opinion, is a BLT, bacon, lettuce, tomato, with lots of mayonnaise, right? Um, you can't make a tomato sandwich with cherry tomatoes. I'm sure, I'm, sure there's some way to make a tomato sandwich with cherry tomatoes, but come on, seriously, I mean, you want that big fat tomato that you slice into and you've got slices and you put the salt and pepper on there and you get everything going. Man, that's good, right? Um, so for me, as a beginner, the first time I ever grew tomatoes, I wanted a tomato that had enough size to make a nice tomato sandwich. So again, it comes back to what do you want to eat? What do you like to eat? It shouldn't be what's easy to grow. It should be, what's easy to grow that you like to eat? That should be the important question. It kind of sums up with maybe some of these, uh, let's see what it says when it sums up. These vegetables are excellent choices for beginner gardeners because they have relatively fast growth cycles. And even if you make a few mistakes, they often bounce back and still produce satisfactory results. Additionally, they are commonly available as seeds or seedlings in garden centers, making them easily uh, accessible for beginners to start their gardening journey. Remember, pay attention to their sunlight, watering, and basic care needs to ensure a successful and enjoyable gardening experience. And that last point's a really good one. Zucchini and tomatoes need a lot of sunlight to grow well. Um, lettuce can go in a, you know, it really matters what part of your garden you're planting this thing. Lettuce and radish are pretty forgiving, um, but, you know, beans are forgiving, but you're going to get a lot more of them out of them if they're in a nice sunny place. But none of the answer that ChatGBT gave spoke to frog jumping back there. Um, none of the answers spoke to what do you like to eat? I mean, the first question I ask people, um, just starting out in gardening, I wanna I'm just plant a few things, what, what should I grow? My first question is, what do you like to eat? What are your favorite vegetables? <laughs> and one thing it didn't have on this list is potatoes. The easiest thing in the world to grow. There's nothing easier than potatoes. Um, I don't know why, but people never seem to want to waste their time with potatoes because they're cheap and they're easy to buy. But you can get so many, a, so, such a wider variety of potatoes when you grow your own, and they taste so good. Um, I've never done a video on this, but sometimes 
<laughs> there's this, I like to make this uh, stir fry. I make a stir fry with potatoes and beans. <laughs> it's a really simple stir fry. Uh, and you'd be surprised, but it tastes really good. <laughs> it's just potatoes and beans. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a, do a video on that uh, later in the, in the fall. Um, anyway, I would have included potatoes on this list. If, do you like potatoes? Most people say yes. Well, grow some potatoes. They're really easy to grow. You're going to have success. You're going to get a lot out of your yard. You know, you've got one four by, eight, four by eight bed. You know, get a, get a bag of seed potatoes, stick them in the ground. Everything's going to grow. It's going to be easy. They're going to taste great. You're going to have success. You can store them all in a box and eat them for the next couple of months, right? They're easy to store, that sort of thing, right? So potatoes would be high on my list. Um, if you like parsnips, I would put that on my list. They're very easy to grow. They kind of grow for the entire season, right? You plant them in April and you pick them in like December, right? So they're around the whole season. They taste really good. Um, they're really expensive to buy in the store and they're pretty pest proof. Like I don't really have problems with my, um, with my uh, parsnips. They grow and grow and grow. They're easier to grow than carrots. And by the way, they never had carrots on the list. That's a good one. If you like carrots, I'd put that on the list. But you know, to, to me, the most important thing, peas, why aren't peas on this list? Peas are easy to grow, easier than beans. You can plant them sooner, right? You can plant peas and potatoes in the same bed as I've shown in lots of videos. Why didn't they, why didn't this thing suggest peas? Who doesn't like peas? Peas are delicious. I mean, peas versus radishes, get out of here. I mean, I'm gonna, someone is gonna write this big long message saying, I love radishes, my father was a radish grower. How dare you insult the, uh, you know, how, how, do you, how dare you cast aspersions on radishes? Fine, if you like radishes, that's great, but <laughs> I don't think most people like them. The last time I was at a restaurant and uh, I ordered a meal and they had radishes on the wheel. Uh, and, and that meal was never. Because <laughs> right? if they put that on the menu, no one would order it. <laughs> That's my proof. <laughs> I like them, I like them fine, okay? I'm just saying, I'm just saying, right? Anyway, uh, so this isn't a bad list, but all the little considerations I gave, I think are important. And what do you like? What are you going to eat? Grow something you're going to eat. Also grow something your family's going to eat. Like, uh, Arugula is a great, easy, easier to grow than lettuce, arugula. Guess what? My family hates arugula. <laughs> I like it, <laughs> but it's like, what am I, I going to do with all this friggin' arugula, right? Uh, so, you know, if you've got a family and you want them to develop an affection for living with a garden, grow things they're going to like to eat, right? Uh, so that's another piece of advice I'd have. Uh, anyway, that's, you know... I can't believe how long I've gone on. So this is the last question asked GPTOs. I was wondering about doing 10 questions or five. I'm glad I only chose five because I've really eaten up the time here. Okay, last question. What is the best mulch for vegetable gardens? Good question, right? The best mulch for, guys, chat GPT now talking. The best mulch for vegetable gardens depends on various factors, including your climate, soil type, the specific vegetables you are growing, and your personal preferences. Different types of mulch offer different distinct benefits. So here are some common options to consider. Straw or hay. Straw or hay mulch is an excellent choice for vegetable gardens. It helps retain the soil moisture, suppresses weeds, and keeps the soil cool. That can be said of any mulch, by the way. However, ensure that the straw or hay is free of weed seeds to avoid introducing unwanted plants into your garden. How do you ensure that? How the hell do you ensure? I mean, straw, hay is weed seeds. I know, because I use it, right? When I can get it, I use hay whenever I can get it. It's a great mulch. It is like, it just basically is weed seeds. If you're putting hay in your garden, you're putting, I don't care. You can't ensure that it's weed free. It's guaranteed to be full of weeds. Right? Also, there is an offhand, you know, you, it can have um, herbicides in it. I, I've never had that problem personally, but uh, if you live somewhere where um, it's allowable, uh, like something like Roundup or whatever is being, you know, sprayed on the fields, um, it could have some sort of uh, herbicide and, and that, that mulch could actually prevent your plants from growing. There's a risk of that. I don't think it, uh, I don't know if it mentions that. We'll have to read on here. Um, but... <laughs> Hay and straw are great mulch. Hay 
You can't ensure that the way you can't ensure that hay is weed free because it is weeds. <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, some people make the distinction that hay is a better mulch than straw because because the hay has the flower heads, the seeds heads in them. It's got more nutrients in it. There's basically more food in hay. Hay is what they feed animals. Straw is what the animals lay in bed in. There's no nutrient value. So there's basically more energy. There's more food energy. There's more food for the soil organisms in hay than there is in straw. So it's argued that hay is a better mulch from that point of view, but it's also argued that hay has more weed seeds in it than straw. And straw, you know, it's not, it's, it's the lower part of the plant, it's the stalks, so it doesn't have any weed seeds, but it does. Right? If you buy straw and you use it, you're basically planting grass in your garden, which is fine. As long as you keep your garden mulched, um, you know, you'll keep that, all that stuff under control. If you keep it mulched, that stuff will take care of itself. It'll stay under control. If you don't mulch your garden after using hay, you are going to have a, uh, a lawn. Your garden will turn into a lawn because it's full of weed seeds. Hay, hay, and moving over there. Um, hay and straw has weed seeds. Straw is weeds and hay has weeds. <laughs> you can't ensure that it's weed free. That's impossible. But they're great mulch. Grass clippings. If you have a lawn and mow it regularly, grass clippings can be used as mulch. Yes, I use it. They provide good moisture retention and nutrient return to the soil as they break down. However, avoid using clippings from lawns treated with herbicides and pesticides. Yes, good advice. Uh, also, it doesn't mention it here, but your grass clippings also usually full of weed seeds. Right? Right? All kind of, I mean, if you have a perfect lawn with one type of grass and it's not flowering, I suppose, but most, people, most of us, our lawns have all kinds of different things um, growing in them. And uh, your grass clippings are full of weed seeds usually. Um, but I use it all the time. I mean, weeds are just part of gardening. You keep your soil mulched, the weeds aren't too bad. Um, but yeah. It's got weeds, it's, but grass clippings are great mulch. You want to see like a garden pick up, right? Put grass down, put grass clippings down and you'll notice like, like I'll have kale that's one color of green, maybe a light green. And then you mulch it with grass. And after a couple weeks and a, and a rain, uh, you'll see the color of the kale get a deeper, darker green from all that nitrogen in the grass, right? The grass breaks down really fast. It heats up, it breaks down, and it, it does feed the soil organisms. And your plants, you notice the difference when you mulch with uh, grass. It, plants really pick up and they love it. So it's a great mulch, although it's full of weeds. <laughs> uh, compost. Compost can serve as an excellent mulch. It adds nutrients to the soil, improves soil structure, and helps retain moisture. However, make sure the compost is well aged and doesn't contain weed seeds. For moisture retention, I find compost is just about the worst. And if you're mulching with well, you know, perfect compost. So compost that's, you know, cause he says, make sure it's weed free, which means it has to be hot composted, perfect compost, you know, very well broken down. You know, it's gotten so hot that all the weed seeds lose their viability. I mean, it takes energy and effort to create a compost that has those properties. Especially if you're like me and you're composting all your weeds all the time. Um, you know, because the soil, the, the compost has to reach that temperature where the seeds lose viability. Um, so for me, my compost almost always has weed seeds in it. But when I've used it, I've played around with it. I've done experiments. I've used it as a mulch. Um, number one, it's, it's hard to get enough. I mean, I've got a massive garden here and it's really, really, really hard to get enough compost uh, to mulch. I, I just couldn't do the whole garden. Uh, in a given year, I might have enough compost to mulch one four by eight bed. And what it does not do, number one, mine is never weed free. Um, number two, all the weed seeds in the compost start growing immediately, right? Number three, it does not maintain moisture level in the soil as well as straw, hay, grass clippings, uh, leaves, things like that. It's, it's probably one of the worst for maintaining moisture levels. It just behaves like soil, right? Everything evaporates very quickly and it dries out. Um, so yeah, I, I would not, and it's really popular right now, but maybe if you had a really tiny garden and a lot of compost, yes. But if you've got a large garden, it's practically useless as a mulch. Um, you know, you'd, you'd have to have a lot of rainfall for that to work 
or you'd have to be out watering your garden all the time. If you're a lazy person like me, uh, how many times have I watered my garden since, uh, you know, I water the seedlings when they're tiny, but once the plants get big enough for me to put a mulch around, I stop watering. I haven't watered out here for months, right? Um, so, I mean, yeah, we've had a bit of rain. <laughs> it's been a bit rainy, but any, any given year, I don't water the garden unless things really look like they're suffering. Uh, good mulch, you know, if you've got some reasonable, reasonably, reasonable rainfall, <clears throat> every once in a while, maybe one good rain every two weeks, or something like that, you shouldn't need to water your garden at all if you've got a good mulch that helps soil retain moisture. <clears throat> leaves. Fallen leaves can help, uh, can be gathered in the autumn and used as mulch in vegetable gardens. They usually break down, enriching the soil as they do. Shredded leaves work better as mulch since they decompose faster. I couldn't agree more. That's my favorite mulch. Um, in an ideal world, I would just use leaves and I'd use them everywhere. They are the best at weed suppression. They're the best at moisture retention. And all the soil in the beds that have leaves is dark and beautiful and rich. Um, leaves are the best. <laughs> and they tend to have the least weeds in them because they're leaves, right? Um, the only, you know, sometimes you'll get leaves and it's got a thousand tree seeds in them. Like one of my beds uh, had a um, probably about 200 maple trees growing in it. One of my garlic beds, I had my wife, or my, or my daughter out here pulling <laughs> maple trees out of, I mean, they were this high, right? But basically she, she killed 200 maple trees, <laughs> right? Because I'm trying to grow garlic here, not maple trees, right? Um, but generally speaking, leaves, uh, you're, you're putting the, le the, le the least amount of weed seeds into the ground uh, and uh, they really benefit the soil. So leaves are my number one. Um, it also mentions uh, wood chips um, for all the reasons I've covered in the show before. And it also <coughs> mentions black plastic or landscape fabric, which is the last thing I'd ever suggest. Uh, it says for wheat suppression and heat retention, you can use black plastic or landscape fabric as mulch. These materials are particularly useful for heat loving crops like tomatoes and peppers. However, they don't improve soil health or allow water and nutrients to penetrate the soil. Well, landscape fabric does because it's permeable. Um, but you know, for me, these, these things all break down. So if you're going to mulch your garden with black plastic, eventually you're going to have to throw all that plastic away. You're just creating a kind of, you know, a waste. You're just filling landfills with waste and you're, you're not enriching your soil at all. I don't know what it said. Does, does not improve soil health. Yeah, right. Because you're not, you're not, your soil is full, full of organisms. They need uh, an energy source. They need something to eat and they don't, they're not going to eat black plastic and landscaping fabric, right? Your leaves or your straw, or your grass clippings or whatever you're using, um, you're, that's, you're basically providing an energy source for all the things in your garden, right? Um, so yeah, it, I wouldn't even waste time with that personally, but I mean, you do whatever you want. Um, it also doesn't, it doesn't mention uh, uh, seaweed here, which is an okay, it's pretty good mulch. I, I'm, I'm not using it in any of my gardens this year. It's not as good at, at moisture retention as leaves, um, but if you have easy access to it, um, totally use it. Um, I've used it all in lots of different ways and it works great. And you know, lots of people think it's got too much salt in it, but it really doesn't. Uh, so yeah, seaweed's a good one. Uh, final points it says here, when applying mulch, ensure you create a layer that is around two to four inches thick, making sure to keep it from direct contact with the plant stems. Mulching is a great practice for conserving water, reducing weed growth, and maintaining a healthier vegetable garden overall. Experiment with different mulch types and find what works best for your specific gardening needs and preferences. So it says when applying mulch, ensure you create a layer that is around two to four inches thick. I think the thickness depends on the mulch. Um, you wouldn't want four inches thick of grass clippings, <laughs> you know, like just an inch. It's grass clippings are really dense. Uh, an inch of grass clippings is all you need. Uh, two to four inches is, is good for like a hay or um, uh, leaves, that sort of thing. Um, but it really depends. And of course, when I plant my potatoes and I mulch with leaves, I put it like six, eight inches thick. Same with straw or hay over potatoes. I make it really, really thick. Right. So it really depends on what you're, what mulch you're using and what you're mulching with it. Right. Um, so that's the only other precautionary thing, but it gave a pretty good, uh, you know, set of a list of things. And th this, this is probably the least, you know, mulches are, I know a lot about it, I guess. <laughs> and it's a kind of nuanced thing. 
uh, for me. Um, so it's one of those it depends type thing. It's, you know, problem with using any kind of AI is that it doesn't deal well with those questions where your first thought when someone asks you the question is, well, it depends. Um, I don't think AI really thinks that way. It just answers the question, right? But sometimes it depends, <laughs> right? Which is why it's handy to, to uh, you know, to do more reading. I, I would not, I mean, what you're doing when you're using AI to answer, so that, that's all of these. What you're doing when you're using AI to answer a question for you is that you're having the AI do the reading for you and kind of doing the thinking for you. And that's expedient, it's quick, you get your answer. Um, but, you know, you're better off. I mean, even the guy that was trying to sell me on this, this AI app for gardening, he was saying, you know, it saves you the need to have to read through um, extension articles, right? But I mean, it's, it's when you're, you're trying to get, when I have an, a question I, I'm trying to answer for gardening, uh, I Google that question and I use the word extension and I try to find articles published through agricultural extensions speaking to that question. And I have to read a lot of them to satisfy that I've got a good, good potential answer in my mind. So instead of getting, you know, like I'm getting from Chatbichi, a very quick answer, I'm reading pages and pages and pages of material uh, written by experts. But while I'm reading those pages of material, of course, I'm expanding my knowledge. I'm learning. I'm getting an appreciation for the different nuances. I'm broadening my, my knowledge base right, on that topic. So when you do this, all you get is what it says. You're not reading all the stuff that had to be read to come up with these concise answers. And of course, you're missing all those little nuanced things, which is why for every one of these questions, I could, I could do a whole podcast talking about, you know, uh, that particular question and all the different answers for it. And this has been a long one, and we've only asked this thing five questions. Um, anyway, I hope you found this interesting, kind of a different show. Um, if you're interested, I can do more stuff like this. I don't know how interesting it is to have me reading what ChatGPT says, but I think it's, it is kind of an interesting thing to explore because it's a place we're going as a society and I, I could see other ways of using it. Um, so it's, I would say, I would say that I would, if, if someone said, if I have a gardening question, should I go on Facebook and ask people for an answer on a gardening group or ChatGPT? I'd actually recommend ChatGPT. <laughs> The answers on Facebook are so bad, so consistently. Um, it is such an incredible uh, dumpster fire of bad information. I, I can't, I mean, you can get, I'm not saying you can't get excellent information and excellent advice on Facebook. Um, and if you're lucky, someone will give you a source. They'll say, you know, here's what you should do if you want to know more, read this. I mean, if someone's doing that on Facebook or whatever you're using, Twitter, or whatever your thing is, um, that's better than them just saying, you need Epsom salts for your tomatoes to make the leaves stop turning yellow. Like, you know, what kind of advice is that, right? <laughs> so I'd actually say if you had a question and you don't like to read and you have no time because you're so busy and all that sort of stuff, um, I would recommend you use ChatGPT <laughs> instead of putting a question out there on Facebook. Why are my tomato leaves turning yellow? Asking Facebook that. You're going to get a thousand answers. Um, no one's going to take the time to review all the literature and write you a nice article saying, well, it could be like eight things, <laughs> you know, one of eight things, and you got to think about it a little bit. <clears throat> You're not going to get an answer like that on Facebook. If, you know, or maybe you will if someone wants to take the time to write that for you. Um, so, yeah, if, if those were your only two options, I'd, I'd definitely go with ChatGPT. Um, but, you know, I recommend actually reading source material reading gardening books, broadening your knowledge base. And I suppose, you know, if you know someone who's, the best person to ask advice for in gardening is you, someone who is a better gardener than you, right? If you know someone, usually an older person, always has an amazing garden, always seems to outdo you in terms of like how healthy everything looks, how fast everything grows, how, right? That's a great person to ask for advice. They probably know what they're doing. <laughs> they probably have some good tips, right? Uh, anyway, 
I think that's all for this episode. I hope you found this interesting. If you did, please like, share, subscribe. Check out my, um, my YouTube channel. Check out my podcast. Subscribe to all those things. Check out my Substack page, maritimegardening.substack.com. Subscribe to that. And uh, until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for watching. Hey, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here, go to Vessies.com to buy whatever you need for your garden this year. Use my coupon code GAVS23 to get free shipping as long as there's a pack of seeds in the order and there's no oversized items in the order. Check out the description box of this video for details. You can buy everything you need from Vessies. They have seeds, fruit bushes and trees, soil amendments, pest solutions, tools, clothing and lots of other stuff too. So yeah, if you want to help support everything I'm doing here and they sell something you need, buy it from them using my coupon code and happy gardening.